Welcome to the Understanding Jesus Podcast. I'm Pastor Troy Richards, and with me is Pastor Clayton Carver. Clayton, welcome. Good morning. Thank it's you for so having me. It's so good to have you. We've talked it. We've built you up a little bit, uh, and we're excited to have you not just on the podcast today, but on staff here at uh, First Baptist Jackson. And just, um, man, it's uh, I'm glad to have you here. Well, I'm excited to finally get started. I just hope I live up to the hype. So Clayton is our pastor of small groups and administration. Uh, I can probably describe maybe even better than you what you're going to be doing, but what do you think? What you do you did think, write the job description. What do you think you're going to be doing? So, <laughs> Why don't you tell us what you're here for? So I am here from what I understand. I might be corrected live, but um, <laughs> I am here to oversee the small group ministry, the adult discipleship efforts of the church uh, on in one hand, and in the other hand, uh, oversee the administrative kind of running of the church offices mm. make sure the 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 finances are in order all everything all the ministries are kind of aligned and uh working with pastor troy to make sure the strategy and the vision are all kind of fitting together towards a common goal and things of that nature yeah that's pretty good I, i'm excited wow let's see if you can pull that off uh i had did have a couple of people come and go so if he's doing all that what are you doing what you are know? you doing and so yeah i just uh, really... i kind of had those questions yesterday as you were throwing more and more stuff on me it's like <laughs> wait a minute what are you doing <laughs> it reminds me of uh my son when he was probably my youngest i think he was like nine or ten and i was giving them assignments and chores and he said he looked at me and he said if we're doing all the work what are you doing mm-hmm. And I think I grabbed him by the ear, if I remember correctly. And I <laughs> I'm said, I'm paying the bills. Let me show you what I'm doing. And took yeah. him throughout the world to show the different responsibilities that his father had at the time. So I won't do that to you or anybody. But the, I would appreciate uh, <laughs> it. My ears the, are sensitive. But the, <laughs> the, but, you know, the, the thing is, is that uh, in the nature of ministry, there's more than all of us can do together it's like we're trying to win the world for christ Mm -hmm. uh the task is uh bigger than i I think one of the marks of of uh being effective as a church is understanding you should always your what is it your reach should always exceed your grasp or Mm -hmm. or, yeah i think that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but it should be you should realize that there's always more than we can do Mm -hmm. Uh, and so there's and i try to get all of our ministries to think like that to think in terms of what would you do if you could, if you had all the resources and all the time, you know, what would you, what would you do and what would be the steps to do it? And just begin so that, so that if you get further than you thought you were going to get, it's not like you go, oh, well, we reached that. And now we have nowhere else to go, but no, yeah, yeah. there should always be goals beyond goals. And so, um, well, I mean, it hit, it hit me yesterday, just last night after I got home, I was like my first day, I pretty much only had meetings all day just because there's so much to, for me to get yeah. caught up with and on the same page with this team and this team and this team so yeah. we can actually go and do all of this stuff. So right. it's like, and much more of that still to come. Yes. Yeah. I'm meeting sure. with people, meeting people, learning mm-hmm. people and, and relationships and so forth. And, uh, and that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I'm glad you're here. So, uh, and I'm glad you're part of the podcast. Glad you have been on podcast before. I have. So, so what was the podcast? New. What was your previous podcast? So at my last church in uh, DFW, I was the director of small group resources and, one of the resources we started was a podcast and we called it group chat because it was for our, our group leaders and it was a podcast specifically aimed toward small group leadership. So uh, leading discussion in your group, handling conflict in your group, uh, choosing the right curriculum, things of that nature. So it, this, this 
this I'm excited about because it's more broad. It's more Bible discussion and yeah. theology and wherever else we want to go. That one was a little more niche. Um, but it was fun, though. It was fun to actually get in those waters, so I'm excited to Yeah, to the that. reason – and I started to tell you this earlier, but I didn't finish the thought the, off off the podcast. But we the reason we started this, uh, Understanding Jesus, was that we, we started a Bible – reading the Bible through the – as a church, through the, reading through the Bible in a year. Mm. We started right off the bat. Let's read through the Bible in a year. So we came up with a share reading plan that I'd had that I'd used for years. And that is you read a portion of the Old Testament, a portion of the New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs every day. And you do that, uh, do every reading, and then 300, it's 365 readings, you know, so it, yeah. you get through the Bible in a year. Yeah. And uh, next year, uh, when you have leap year, you get an extra day. So we... We'll make sure the 29th you get off. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, that's that's the concept. But so we wanted to have so we created this podcast as a, a means to kind of encourage people to show because I think one of the things that people struggle with when they're reading through the Bible is is I don't really get anything out of it. I'm just reading, but I don't see anything. So we wanted to show uh, through common people such as ourselves and and inviting guests on whoever, um, especially Austin, the engineer over here, uh, who just, he's so common. Austin's our, our regular normal guy. Uh, and, uh, and Evan and others and so forth that we, we invite people on to show, we encourage them to read and then ask him, well, what did you get out of the reading? Just to show that you do get something out of the reading. Uh, but to, to channel a little bit more closely is to say, where do you find Jesus in the reading? You know, mm-hmm. do you see Jesus revealed in the Old Testament reading? Do you see Jesus revealed in the Psalms? Do you see Jesus revealed in the Proverbs? In the New Testament, we typically see Jesus revealed, but uh, the maybe but it should he, be the Finding Jesus podcast. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's like the so it's just having a. Uh, I guess we could maybe that would have been more provocative mm. too. So I, I don't know. We, we, maybe we'll. You've been here two days and you're trying to change the name of the podcast. No, no. So. Yeah. Well, that one know. sounds more. Evangelical though, <laughs> finding Jesus. Yeah, no, it sounds yeah. like it belongs on TBN. There you go. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Finding Jesus. Or focus on the family. Dun, 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 dun. Um, so anyway, that's that's how we got it started. So anyway, yeah, we're, we look forward to being here and and uh, and today in that uh, in that that vein of thought uh, of understanding Jesus, we are going to be looking at uh, the Psalms, uh, Psalm 34 specifically, and then we will be looking at the Gospel of Mark, answer some, and then answer some questions. Uh, there's some challenging thoughts at the in the Gospel of Mark, so um, some questions that some people pose to us uh, this week, so we're going to tackle those, uh, figure out um, who is uh, Rufus. Uh, that's, uh, do, do we know, do we know Rufus? I had, my grandmother had a dog named Rufus. Mm. This is not that. So anyway, all that ahead on understanding Jesus. We have a new ministry here at First Baptist Jackson. It's called Holy Grounds. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and we have gourmet coffee available. Our own barista in-house. So we hope you'll come join us 9 a.m. Sunday mornings for Holy Grounds. From 9 to 9.15, we have a time of fellowship with donuts and coffee. And then Bible study, always from some amazing Bible study. You can sit in the observation deck and just watch, or you can participate. It's up to you. But come join us. Check it out. 9 a.m. Sunday mornings here at First Baptist Jackson.
and we are going to be looking at the passages that stood out to us in this week's reading, and and we are so so much good content uh, this week in in our devotional time. Um, it would anytime you're closing out any of the gospels, uh, it's it's a potent time because you're getting into the passion of, of Christ, and so so much unfolding there. And uh, and that's where I was going to focus uh, what I had to share this week. I had uh, I had some of them stuff from the Psalms that really stood out to me this week, and and some even some things from uh, Numbers because uh, while Numbers can be convoluted <laughs> a little, or, or at least a, a lot of detail that uh, is hard to pull something devotional from, uh, there's still some uh, still a progression of events that is taking place in Numbers that's very important. Uh, and uh, but I want to look at Mark chapter 14 and and these verses in chapter 14 verse 37 it says thus he then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter Simon are you sleeping could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And when I read those last words, I thought ah, that that resonated so much. Of they did not know how to answer, and I thought how how true that is for us in our when we read the word or hear the words of Jesus and think, especially when we are not where we need to be, not doing what we're supposed to be doing or didn't do what we were supposed to be doing. And and when he catches us in that place and then you read the word, it's like being in a, in a sermon uh, where you're where you're not, again, where you're guilty as, as sin <laughs> and uh, and you hear the sermon and you get nothing. You have no response. It's like I I can't even I can't even justify. I have no excuses. I, I, you know, what do you say uh, to Jesus when he's like he's over there sweating blood and you're too tired to, to keep going? You know, it's like, and it's like, why, why weren't you there? Why didn't you do this? And so I can, I can just feel the angst that they are feeling. And and you back up just a little bit, and Peter is so passionate about I will never forsake you. I will, you know, we will always, you know, we're just so so convinced he will go the distance with Jesus absolutely convinced of it and you and you know the end of the story so you're already feeling that oh peter it's like man just t- dial it back a little bit maybe just a little humility but you can't he can't and you and when you, i think i still it's hard to recognize in ourselves because we're caught up in the moment but uh, wow when i see other people well when i get as i get older i, I see this more often when i see other people and they'll make statements like that. You know, I will always, you know, be faithful and I will never betray my wife or I will never, uh, you know, do that, mishandle my children. And kids do that when they're, you know, when they, with their parents, they'll be like, I will never do this with my kids. You know, it's like, and, and as parents, you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what, because we said that. Those were the same words that came out of our mouth, and now we are doing it with our children who are saying the same things we said and so forth. And it's like, ah. And you and you hear Jesus saying, ah, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And and how often we just live through that process of where we're taken to a, a critical moment in our spiritual journey, and it is needed for us to rise to the occasion. 
and we find ourselves wishing we were stronger. I do you remember Rich Mullins? Do you ever listen to Rich Mullins? Um, a little bit, yeah. Okay. I was way when I was little. Yeah. I know. I, well, he, he, his stuff's still around. He, yeah. he lingers. Other, he, I've listened to Rich Mullins. I've listened to other people sing Rich Mullins songs, yeah. probably. Yeah. And and the song there was a song called "Awesome God" that was mm-hmm. like really popular and so forth, which was which was uh, uh, you know and and we got to have Rich Mullins come in concert a few times and got mm-hmm. to meet him and talk to him. And, and he married um, a girl I went to school with. He married her. Uh, she married his brother. So, oh, wow. so yeah, it was kind of a cool small connection. World. Yeah, it's a small world. But uh, anyway, he uh, but he was such a insightful songwriter. But he wrote a song, "We Are Not as Strong as We Think We Are," mm-hmm. and uh, and it's just uh, and it's such a it, he, there was a very human element to the things he was writing. Just um, that uh, you know, we think we are we we do make bold promises to God. We do make bold commitments and so forth. But the reality is. Uh, we are not as strong as we think we are. Every every day, there's going to be a reminder. And I think what it is, we get to a thing where we don't think we need a Savior. Mm-hmm. We really start living and acting and behaving as though we could save ourselves if we had to. We'll say, we'll you know, do the theological, you know, of course I don't save myself. We're not saved by our own works. But in our hearts, we're acting like, but I could if I needed to. Uh, yeah. And then when we get there, God's like, okay, well, let's, let me just pull my hand back just a little bit and let you deal with the, the world that you live in and see how well you handle it. And then, and then it becomes painstakingly obvious that we are people desperately in, in need of a savior. And we get shame and, and then and when we do, when we, we have puffed ourselves up and then we do fall. You know, that pride goeth before a fall thing and, and then shame and regret fill our hearts. And we and and the thing I think that's worse, uh, and especially I think this is a as a, a younger adolescent uh, or a young adult, even um, especially as a young adult, when our parents are when we're trying to be uh, when we fail our parents. Now we are we're adding more burden to people who are already burdened with our burdens. And it's like, I just need you to, and I always picture it like a person who's exhausted and, and we're walking together and then I make stupid mistakes and now they have to carry me the rest of the way because of my stupidity. Mm -hmm. And, and that's kind of where the disciples are with Jesus. It's like here, they're like, we're going to, we're going to be there for you. We're going to help you. We're going to support you. We're going to encourage you. And here he's under the greatest stress any human beings ever been under in history and like I said, sweating drops of blood, and now it's like uh, you're gonna have to carry us. <laughs> you know, we're just limp in his arms. There's a there's a picture of uh, that I remember giving my dad, where uh, it's got a guy who's hanging limp in Jesus's arms or whatever, mm-hmm. and you got Jesus yeah, with the nails. Yeah, it's it's powerful. I I appreciate people who can put such things like that in art and so forth. But uh, we we just make stupid choices, and in our stupid choices, we increase the difficulty of the people that we love the most, and ultimately. Uh, we are not that we're not that God can't handle the burdens or the difficulties that we're we're doing, but it is it is a um, we are we are basically spitting in the face of the one who uh, who carefully loves us and has forgiven us and has done so much for us. Um, I um, had a when I was in school when I was in middle school, I was um, had a bunch of kids who ganged up on me in the dark and just attacked me. And it was just a horrible middle school prank, just a bunch of kids who, whatever, bullies or whatever. 
And, uh, and I remember wrestling to get free, wrestling to get free. And, and then I finally got free and I jumped up and the first kid I saw, I just reared back and just cold cocked him in the face as mm. hard as I could. Turns out that was the kid who had just got the other kids off of me oh, no. <laughs> and it rescued me from the situation. Thank and you. it was like, and it was like, ah, that's not, you know, and you get all that anger in you and you feel so justified and you get one clean shot in and you hit the guy who saved you. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, ah, man, that didn't go the way I thought it would go. But I feel, that's what I feel in this situation. I feel like it's like, it's like the one person who you absolutely would not want to create pain and difficulty in their life is Jesus. And yet he's the one we seem to in, make the object of our wrath or our ire. But um, anyway, I um, I put this little comment in my notes. I said, like Peter, we cower in the shadows, wishing we were stronger and crumble into a pile of tears when we realize just how wretched we are. Watch and pray such a simple instruction in need of an obedient spirit. And just to remind myself, I must give him the first hours of the day to stand against the enemy and to keep him, uh, to keep myself from succumbing to the flesh. So mm-hmm. anyway, that was, that was my takeaway from Mark. So anyway, any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, just as you were talking, the, the, the same kind of things came into my head that we, we vastly overestimate our own abilities and we vastly underestimate the abilities of others and the abilities of God. Right. So we think we can do more than we can do, but we don't believe God can do everything he says he can do. Right. You know, we, we have those people that were like, those people could never get saved mm-hmm. or those people could never change right. or those people could do this and that. I could, I can, right. You know, because I, I know this, I do this, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it's just so it's just so backwards, and I think it it's a product of our modern day of we we've kind of lost um, a biblical teaching of of who we are mm. as humans. Um, with I mean with with our sin, with with LGBT, with transgender, with racism, with all of these things that American Western culture is wrestling with today. The the theological question of our era is going to be who are we as humans? What's our identity? What's our purpose? And we we get that wrong even as believers because we attribute an identity or a purpose or an ability to ourselves that we're not supposed to have or it's not supposed to be our top priority. And um, it leads us into, like Peter, constantly putting our foot in our mouths mm. um, or screwing things up and just realizing that, hey, you know what? God actually does know what he's doing. Right. And... Um, he really is as good as he says he is, and he does love you as much as he says he does. So he actually is going to take care of this if you'll just let him do it. Hmm. Um, so I'll stop there because that'll be a good segue yeah. into my song. All right, All right. segue. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Great. So yeah, with, with that said, um, my passage is going to be Psalm 34. This is maybe my favorite psalm, if not one of my favorites. But there was kind of some overlap from the reading plan, so if I repeat anything from last week. I apologize. That's okay. But um, Psalm 34 really sticks out to me because it, it's a psalm where um, David David's really in a bind and he needs uh, he needs God to rescue him. Um, if you don't know the the background of this psalm is when David is fleeing from Saul because Saul's trying to kill him, and he flees into uh, the land of this king called Abimelech, and 
um, he was a, a different kingdom, a, an enemy kingdom, and people recognize him like, isn't this King David? And David gets so scared that they're going to kill him that he pretends to be insane. The Bible says he lets drool kind of go into his beard and, and things like that. And so King Abimelech's like, oh, this guy's crazy, so we'll just let him go. Um, but he needed God to get him out of that situation, and he writes this psalm afterward that God delivered him. Um, and it was it was relatable to me, not that I've act cra- acted crazy in the last recent days, um, but um, for me, being here, being at FBC on day number two, this marks the end of a 15-month journey for me of finding that next step that the Lord had for me. Um, I still have to finish some school, but uh, for the last 15 months, um, really a little more than that, I've been trying to figure out um, what that next step was for me, what that next um, part of my journey was going to look like with the Lord. And um, so I've I've been applying for jobs. I was interviewing with people. Um, I was a finalist, a top two finalist, six times. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the only time I ever broke through was here. <laughs> so <clears throat> it was, it was incredibly frustrating and I enjoyed my time at seminary. Like I had, I enjoyed my job. I was a teaching assistant. Um, it just didn't pay the bills. Um, so I was, I was having to look for that next step and just constantly trying to figure out what's God doing did I make the right decision by even coming here? Cause clearly these doors aren't opening up. Maybe I'm not supposed to be in ministry. Um, you know, so all those thoughts build up in your head. And, um, so this Psalm was really, really relatable. So like, like verse four, um, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Mm. Um, so yeah, we look at, yeah, he delivered me from all my fears and that's great. But really the, the, the grace in that verse is I sought the Lord and he answered me. Mm. The fact that the Lord, the perfect holy God is willing to answer David, who is a man after God's own heart, right? But David, the adulterer, David, the murderer, and the Lord is still willing to answer him when he cries out for help. That to me, that's where the grace is in this passage. Mm. Um, you know, cause then he goes on, he talks about, you know, those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Um, those who fear him lack nothing. Adversities come to the one who is righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. These are all great, but um, just the fact that a a sinful human being like David, who was willing to, in in just a brief moment of humility, um, cry out to the Lord and ask for help, that the Lord is willing to answer him. Mm. Um, it echoes First John. First um, John uh, says that whenever we ask anything of him we know that he hears us. Mm. Um, the the peace that comes from a relationship with the Lord and the peace that comes from prayer is knowing that we're heard. Mm. It's not necessarily getting the answer that we want. It's knowing that we're heard. That's really what we want to know, that God actually hears, he actually cares, and he is going to do something about it. Um, so yeah, this this is the psalm that, that was really fitting, I think, that we're reading through this as a church right now as I as I come here, because this kind of reflects the the spiritual wrestling that I've been on for the last 15 months that uh, the Lord did here, and he did take care of me, and he um, brought me back to, you know, growing up in Cape, brought me here to Jackson, and I never thought I would get to 
ever come back home when I moved to Southwestern seven years ago. Um, I was looking for jobs all over because I assumed my time here was done. But um, this is where I grew up, so my heart is here. And the fact that he would actually allow me to come back home is um, better than anything I could have cooked up on my own. And I have to tell that to myself, and I tell that to my friends who are searching uh, for their next step at school. It's like, you know, guys, I tell you all the time, um, and I have to tell it to myself because when my friends are in the same situation, I'm like, God's going to do uh, exactly what he needs to do and exactly what is best for you. Um, and it's going to be good. It's going to work out exactly the way it's supposed to, right? you know, and exactly the way that's supposed to exactly the way the Lord wills. And the same God that's in total control of history is the same God that loves me. Um, one knows me the best and loves me the most. Mm. So you can't really beat that combination. Yeah. I, and that's, uh, I love Psalm 34 as well. It's, I think it's a reminder of that uh, when we are in need, that God wants us to turn to him and not to other sources. That, uh, you know, the the overarching theme throughout the Old Testament is that God is just wanting his people to look to him for salvation. And and he's a God who wants to provide salvation for his people, uh, like a, like a parent who's just wanting to help their child. Yet the child continually looking elsewhere for other solutions, for other answers and so forth. And, and it resonates in our world today that that it's like, uh, here's here's an easy solution. You know, God, the God who created you mm. it will just simply fix your situation. Uh, and everybody's like, ah, yeah, yeah, I see that. I see that offer and so forth. But I really think I'm going to go this route. Um, I don't know if you've ever had an easy solution for somebody and you've offered it to them to have them reject that, mm-hmm. but it's like, and you just look at them like, I, I really don't, I really don't know why you, it's like, I want to, I had a situation where I was offering someone a car free and they're like, ah, but this other person here is going to charge me $3,000 for a lesser car. And I think I'm going to go that route. And you're like, I, I, is it because it's free? Is it because it's me? Is yeah. you know what is the yeah. reasoning? And it was just and there and there's so many weird factors in that. But it comes down to that we we just look to our own flesh or we look to uh, the world. There's some enticement of the world, or it's just Satan himself that we just uh, there's something in this deceitfulness of what the world offers that we just think. I just think this it it and it's like. When you see other people being deceived, you're like, how can you be so foolish? Mm-hmm. And when you yourself are deceived, it's like, I, how did I? No. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah. I didn't see it any other way. It just it looked right. It looked yeah. like the right thing to do. And so I just did it. And so it felt good at the time. Yeah. The, but, the tricky part about deception is that in the middle of deception, everything makes sense. Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. You know, and my, my, my doctoral supervisor uses that about, um, he's a, he's a world religions professor uh, mormonism is kind of his expertise so mm-hmm. he says you know we always talk about these cults and these other religions going how could anybody believe something so weird and wacky and he goes but from the inside of a of a situation everything looks totally normal yeah you know it's like within evangelical christianity it looks totally normal to me because i was raised in it and i believe it right. and i know that's true to the person who doesn't believe it it looks crazy you guys eat a guy's flesh and drink a guy's blood like <laughs> yeah. you know you dunk people in water and then say that they're going to heaven 
That's uh, right. Well, we don't say that. But, but they come back from the dead. That's what. The, yeah, they think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he would use an illustration in class sometimes. He would talk about. It. He goes, "You say that all these other religions are weird, but what if I came and I told you, hey, I'd like to invite you over to my house. I'm gonna have some friends over. We're gonna read a book that was written two thousand years ago, um, that um, takes place in an entirely different time and culture. We're gonna talk about how we can bring it into our own lives. We're gonna pray to a guy who died and came back from the dead." And I speak to that deity every day, and he talks back to me. <laughs> you would say, well, that's that's just that's just weird. He goes, yeah, but all of you did that on Sunday. Yeah. You know, so um, hu- the human mind is tricky that way. Yeah. That we can, we yeah, can, when you start to take the things that we believe wholeheartedly and you begin to share them in the context of people who are unchurched, you you feel the weirdness of it. Mm-hmm. You like you know that you're outside of your box, and mm-hmm. even naming the name of Jesus in certain contexts, a name that we throw around very casually in mm-hmm. our own comfortable circles. When you, I I knew a pastor's wife. Every time she would say Jesus, she would start weeping because <laughs> it was yeah. just such anxiety, you know. And when she would talk about it in public or in, in front of a people who are, might be unfamiliar, uh, but it's like you see, and you see the demeanor of people change. It's like, oh, you're you're one of those. Oh, one of those. You're yeah, one of those. One of those Jesus freaks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, and it's like a weirdness to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I. But uh, and, and going back to the Psalm, we're where David says the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. I, I think that, and he was, he was a broken man. And I think that's where we get to, even those who were every, what is amazing to me is how you take an unchurched person and how you, when you introduce Jesus to them, the people who are most receptive are those who are broken. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm, they have that look on their face, like I just, I'll, t- I'll do anything. I'll be dunked in water twice, you know. Mm-hmm. I will, you know, do go to whatever service you want me to go to if, if you believe it will help me, and, and really don't even really have an understanding of what we're talking about. Just so desperate to try something. Yeah. I was, um, we were in uh, Greece. Yeah, that's where I was, and we were there when the Syrian refugee crisis was taking place. Mm-hmm. We went to this island. And a woman had gotten on the wrong boat. She had three kids, and they were babies. I mean, like a, like infant, and then two small children, like one and three. And she was by herself, really young girl. And uh, my wife just was in her zeal to help people, just notice her struggling with them, and just goes over and asks if she can carry her children for her. <laughs> I'm like, I I would not do that if she were not there. Mm. But uh, but we did. She spoke no English. And so we come out and we're sitting on this dock that other people have taxis. And we had a taxi that left. And so we're sitting there with her for hours. And she and we realized through slow, painstaking, don't speak the same language, <laughs> your gestures to one another. We figure out over hours of time that she has she got on the wrong boat. She's in the wrong place. Mm. She's trying. She And then we find out she's a Syrian refugee. I uh, borrowed my phone and made a call to Syria, which didn't know that was going to happen. That's how I found out she was from Syria. <laughs> Says uh, somebody spoke English on the other yes. end, and it's like, oh, this is going to cost money. Uh, but uh, anyway, the uh, but the point was, she, I said, I I don't. I said so. Um, I said, let me try to find you a a taxi or something to get you to somewhere where we can to a town to where we can maybe get you where you need to go. She was ultimately trying to get to Germany. So um, 
she reached in her purse, pulled out all the money that she had, gave me her passport, all her money, and everything she had in her purse, and just handed it to me. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and I thought, um, and so I, I had her passport to find out who she was, and I gave her her money back and said, you know, I don't need, you know, we'll take care of it. It's, you know, we'll take care of whatever it is. But, but I thought, she's so desperate. She has no idea who I am, mm-hmm. and yet she's willing to. And I thought, only God would arrange this circumstance because it's like, like, it's like you want to say he's trying to, he's extending a hand of grace to you and you're not even one, you know, you're not even part of his church or whatever, but, uh, but this is, a, you know, it's a ministry mode. It's a part, an opportunity to share the gospel. So that's what we saw. We saw it that way. You know, this is some way, somehow to communicate the, the good news of, of Christ to her. But, um, we took her into town. Uh, we found her, we, we walk into a, an area where they were take, putting people on a ferry and taking them to Athens and then processing them and sending them on to Germany. So that was what was going to happen. So we go into this area and there's tents everywhere and so forth. And we just walk through and go, does anybody speak English? You know, to start screaming it out loud. And then the college kids always know mm-hmm. multiple languages. So college kids come over and he becomes our interpreter and we're able to communicate and help get on our way. But I thought that's such a picture of if we think of ourselves every day we go out, there's needy people like that looking for somebody. And and there are just as many people that Satan is sending to jump into that person's world to take them the wrong direction mm-hmm. as there are people of light to take them in the right direction. And so and I just it makes me very aware that that it is uh, that it is those that it is that brokenness that that when you see someone who's broken, when you see that contrite spirit, that maybe you. I don't want to put ourselves in the angels, but but it says the Lord has angels encamped around him. But it is, I mean, we are those who are filled with his spirit. It is within God's purview to use us as a means to minister uh, to those people and to be receptive as an as a, basically as an agent of grace uh, in those circumstances and so forth. But uh, and I know he's had people. I'm grateful for the times he's had people like that around me. You know, mm-hmm. you just. Um, but um, but anyway, that's yeah. I've. Maybe went too long with that story, but anyway. Well, that was good, though. Okay, yes, good. and amen. Uh, the, um, uh, we got some, a couple of questions we're going to address, so we'll come back in just a bit and deal with some questions that came up in our reading this week, so stay here. If you would like to learn more about the ministry here at First Baptist Jackson, we have a class that's specially for you. It's called Basics, where we teach all the basic foundational things about being a part of our church, what our church is about, where it came from, where we are, where we're going, and how you fit in to God's plan here at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're interested in being part of the Basics class, all you have to do is contact our church. You can contact us at office at fbcj.us. That's office at fbcj.us. Send us an email, and we would be glad to set up a time for us to have that class with you. We'll make a special time. We'll provide child care, but we need to hear from you. So if you're interested in taking the basics class, please contact us at office at fbcj.us. program where we deal with questions that came up in the reading and um, Mark chapter 16 
is I'm 15 and so forth, uh, has is notorious for questions. Um, the uh, and just let me say uh, before I get into any questions about Mark chapter 15 that uh, in Mark 16 um, verses 9 through 20 are pretty much every I think most people agree that that is not the actual ending of the Gospel of Mark that that's those were verses that were added later and just before King James people freak out over that comment the just understand when you have older documents. And then that do not possess verses, and then you have intermediate documents that possess possess different verses, and then you have newer documents that possess verses that neither of the earlier two had. You tend to think those were added later, so uh, that's uh, that's why if you're in a newer Bible, it's not that they just hate the King James Bible and want to change it. It's they'll put things in. Usually they'll put it in brackets. Some versions may. Omit them all together. I don't know. If I some do. Do some? Okay. I, I, would, I couldn't think of one that did, but mm. uh, but I know the most of them. If anyone did ESV, it would be yeah. ESV. That, that yeah. I can't remember. Usually they omit just the like the one verse at a time. Right. Right. I don't know if the whole uh, of an entire passage yeah. would be omitted. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty big chunk to take yeah. out that without freaking people out. So, yeah. but that's if you're missing that in your Bible, uh, and and it's and it says some things that are difficult. Uh, so that's why we, reason why it's important is because it'll say something about, you know, about the snakes, um, being, you know, that they are able to, they will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Um, coming from Kentucky, I'll just tell you right now, there's a whole group of churches out there that just follow that, uh, literally and introduce snakes into the service and so forth. And, uh, Lexington hospital has been replete with preachers who, who, who were not faithful enough, apparently because mm. they were dying from the poison in their body. And, uh, and that's, but that's, that's a weak path. It's a, I would not base a doctrine on a passage that I was not confident was in the authoritative word. And, and so we, we kind of view the original autographs as being authoritative, meaning what Mark originally wrote. So we're trying, mm. we don't have that. But we try to get as close to that as we possibly can. Um, anyway, that's that's the mindset we take in such things. But the passage we're going to look at is not debatable. It is uh, it is in a passage um, in the earlier part. It uh, it says, um, let me find let me actually let me find what I'm talking about here. It's in Mark 15. Yes, there you go. Um, in Mark chapter 15. It says that um, a couple of different things. Uh, one uh, is, well, let me back up a little bit. Let me deal with, hold on. Let me back up to Mark. Let me see where I thought I had this right in front of me. But um, dun, 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 dun. I have to go back to Mark 14 for the first question. It's about the young man who, uh, yeah, we've got to go back to the Garden of Eden. So the Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. That's way back. Deal, it's going way back. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so go back to Gethsemane, and it was uh, where Jesus is being betrayed and where he is fulfilling the passage, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep uh, will be scattered. And it says, um, there it is. In verse, verse Yeah, verse 50. Uh, it's, uh, it's what I'm going to start with first is chapter 14, right? 14, yeah. Chapter 14, verse 50, it says, Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, 
And the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, if you know if you've heard this before, but the conventional wisdom. Well, let me just ask you, what have you heard about that? I have not heard anything about this, so this should be interesting. Oh, well, good. Yeah. The conventional wisdom that was passed along to me by people uh, smarter than myself, but uh, is that that is Mark. That that is his way of including himself in this story. Mm. That he was that he is the person present. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, and this is a, a lot of assumptions, but the idea is that Mark was a scribe for Peter, that, that the gospel of Mark was, um, a, possibly taken from the teaching of Peter and, and really just from the sermons that Peter preached, Mark assimilating a gospel. But here in this story include because that's just an explanation for why he would have included this element to say there was this person this young man who was there age-wise it would fit uh that this would be mark who was just simply and i think sometimes we get in our picture a picture in our head that only the names who are mentioned are the people who are present in any particular circumstance but mm-hmm. we know that's not true mm-hmm. we know there are like from the other gospels we know that like the, when you only have one angel and one gospel, and then there are two angels in the other. Well, it doesn't say there weren't two angels. It's only naming one angel at the time. So it doesn't mean there's only that person present. There could be other people present. And, and it's very likely that it wasn't just the 12 disciples or 11 disciples with Jesus, and then Judas comes in, that there were probably other disciples there as well. It's just making sure we understand that, uh, like, for instance, James, John, and Peter were the ones who went further with him, uh, but uh, and they're named, but that doesn't mean that they're the only people present seeing the things that are happening or taking place. But um, the um, but anyway, that's the idea is or the thought. The thought is is that that is Mark simply saying, I was I was I saw it, and mm-hmm. so because the value is is that uh, these are eyewitnesses that witnessed all the events that are taking place and so forth to add merit to um, the things they're saying. The other passages from Mark chapter 15. And in verse 21, it says, then, then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Now, have you heard this part? Are you familiar with? Which verse is this? <clears throat> the uh, verse 21, as to oh, why yes. as to why he would name Alexander and Rufus. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've not, I've not heard anything. No. Okay, good. No. Well, <laughs> this so, is fascinating. I'm, I'm excited. Yes. Uh, again, Mark adding details. Uh, of Alexander Rufus, um, later in Romans 16:13, Paul says when he's doing his greetings, says, "Be sure and give greetings to Rufus and his mother," and then also, and he says, "Also mine." And so meaning that Rufus's mother is also a mother to Paul. And so many people believe that when Mark names Alexander and Rufus in this, the reason why he includes those names is because people read the contemporary readers are going to go, "Oh, that's Simon the Cyrenian." That's that's Rufus's dad. And so that's how he's so that they were a part of the church. Mm-hmm. And so when Paul is referencing Rufus and the church in Romans, that that is the Rufus that uh, that has that um, that connection. And and so much so that Paul even knew the mother or Simon's wife. Yeah. Now that that makes sense. My question would be. Most scholars believe that Mark was the first gospel written, right? Correct. Yeah. Do we. I don't remember. Do we think that Mark was written before or after Paul started writing his epistles, though? After. We think it was after. Yeah, okay. the, the, we believe the church, the letters to the Thessalonians would have been first, and the Romans would have followed soon after. But yeah, most of, most of the epistles were written before the Gospels. Yeah. 
there are some that transition over, but it would all have been in that same mm-hmm. time period. But even even if Mark wrote, uh, Mark was written before Romans, that doesn't mean that Mark wouldn't have known that Alexander and Rufus would be known to the church. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's so, fair. So yeah, yeah so that that they would be that people would be they would be well known, mm-hmm. and uh, and that they are a part of the church at Rome. So anyway, and there are and there's other tradition there's other uh, extra biblical writings that kind of connect that this is that his children were a part of the church at Rome at the time. So, so anyway, that's um, that's where that comes from. But uh, again, you know, when we answer questions like that, uh, it's always important to point out we can't prove those things. No, yeah, sure, <laughs> those are things sure. that can't be uh, proven. It's kind of yeah. like when you go to the Holy Land and they're saying this is where Jesus was buried. It's like eh, I have no idea where Jesus was yeah, buried. Yeah. But uh, sure looks at, people go because you have the traditional. Uh, tomb of the Resurrection, and uh, that you can visit, which is inside the city walls, and uh, or just outside of the original city walls, or something to the effect. And then uh, you have the owned by the British Church or whatever, some British Christian society or whatever owns this yeah. garden tomb that is by this place where there's a bus station, but there's this rock that looks a lot like a skull and so forth. And it's like this is probably where it was, and we had it's an empty tomb and blah blah blah, and that's where everybody goes. I've had so many people going to go, oh, well, that's that's the real one, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, it's I appreciate really your tough to prove appreciate that, your yeah. thought process there, yeah. but uh, but it is it is helpful. It's visually, it's like, well, this would this does make sense. Yeah. Um, and speaking to that, if uh, if if you ever get uh, have you ever been to the Holy Land? No. Something you want to do? Plan to go. Okay. And uh, but when you go, the the neatest part about that experience for me was because you do that all the time. It's like this is where people think this happened and so mm. forth, but probably wasn't here. Probably may have been here, and all, all kinds of speculation. Yeah. You go to the house of Caiaphas, and they're really really confident that that's the house of Caiaphas, and because of some archaeological um, remnants in there and so forth and records. There's a set of stairs, and they're like, now, this would have to be the stairs that Jesus was taken if he went from here to Herod's, you know, to this would be the path that he would take. And so he said, and our guide's like, this is the only place you're going to see where we can confidently say that Jesus stepped here. And and it is a it's kind of a surreal moment mm-hmm. because and and you know it's funny because all the other places you can go to and touch and sit in and be around and so forth not so with <laughs> it's roped off you can't get near it you know it's like this is uh it's like you can look at it but it's like they're not letting people so it's like you're almost like okay they yeah. even know that this is more we authentic. know this is, yeah we're not letting this one deteriorate <laughs> that's right this yeah. is this is going to be preserved this is this is authentic something so uh but it is uh but it is it is a uh, it's that's a powerful place to uh, even though but I, that's the only place I can remember in the whole entire time where it's like we know Jesus was here, and uh, and it was like up to that point it was kind of like Disney World, you know, mm-hmm. where you have representations of things that were or whatever, but it's not really the real thing. Yeah. And uh, and you, but you got to that moment, and then it just kind of hits you that I am literally where Jesus, Jesus Christ Himself walked in that moment and that made the trip for me i was uh, not that the other stuff wasn't informative or appreciative i will say that it was they say it's worth a semester of seminary just to spend a week there and uh and i will i will say that it did help to visually i, I uh, ray vanderlaan did a series on um uh, that the world may know and he takes some videos the holy land so second best thing i've seen it but it was helpful to see it um 
I do. That, I was 21 when I went. So wow. that was a long, long time long, ago. Thank you for exaggerating yeah. that. Yeah. 23 years ago. Yeah. So no, 30. Oh my goodness. Saying that loud makes me hurt. 33 years ago. Back to the age of Jesus. <laughs> I wasn't even alive. <laughs> right. 33 years ago. So anyway, but it's a good place to close out now that I'm feeling old and contemplative or contemplative, however I want to say that. But um, thank you for joining us today. And Clayton, thanks for being here, man. Hope well, to have you, you back. Thank you for having for me. Maybe, yeah. maybe you'll make it a week. Maybe we'll do this again. Yeah, I would, I <laughs> would love to. You made two days. Yeah. Well, I used, to, I used to podcast at the old church that, uh, that I worked at. So awesome. this is like revisiting oh, old times. Old hat. Yeah. Good deal. We've been, we've been looking for you then. That's good. All right. Okay, well, we'll be back again next week here on Understanding Jesus. 